0: Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, The Songs of Ascent. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton.
1: Psalm 126, here now, the reading of God's holy, inerrant, Inspired Word. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him dependently in prayer. Our gracious God in heaven, we ask that you would prepare our hearts to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Joy is not an achievement of the Christian life, but a fruit of it. Nor is joy an acquisition, but the produce of living by faith and obedience to the Spirit of Christ. Yet some may feel as if joy is fleeting. If you are a Christian, and you wonder where your joy has gone, it would be wise to look to the robber barren of sin, that is, your flesh, Like a thief who breaks in on Christmas Eve and steals all of the presents under the tree, sin stealthily steals the gift of God's joy. And when we awake, and when we realize the gift is gone, we tend to look for it everywhere but where it may be found. The legalist believes that joy can be commanded. The consumer believes that it can be purchased. The organizer believes that it can be arranged. The average American might think that it can be entertained right back into you. Just a little bit of entertainment and arrives joy. I like the way that one pastor observes he says, We pay someone to make jokes, tell stories perform dramatic actions, sing songs. We buy the vitality of another's imagination to divert and enliven our own poor lives. The enormous entertainment industry in America is a sign of the depletion of joy in our culture. Society is a bored, gluttonous king employing a court gesture to divert him after an overindulgent meal. That kind of joy never penetrates our lives, never changes our basic constitution. The effects are extremely temporary a few minutes, a few hours, a few days at most. When we run out of money, the joy trickles away. We cannot make ourselves joyful. So, joy cannot be commanded purchased, arranged, or entertained, but as as it is received, it can be restored. I loved uh, Jeremy's prayer this morning, uh, which ties in nicely. Way to go, Jeremy. Because I think of, when I think about joy and the restoration of joy, I think about David's 51st psalm. His psalm of repentance, in which he confesses, in which he repents of his sin, and then he petitions the Lord for what only the Lord can give. He prays, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Repentance and obedience is our spirit-enabled part. Restoration is God's. And we see this clearly in this psalm today from the past and the present and the future perspective. The psalmist looks to the Lord's restoration in the past, reflecting on his faithfulness. We see that in the very first verse. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. And the psalmist prays for the Lord's restoration in the future, rejoicing in his provision. We see that in the fourth verse. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. The story of the Christian life, as I like to think of it, the story of the Christian life is bookended on one side with the acts of God's faithfulness. And it is bookended on the other side in the hope of God's provision. And in between those two bookends is the joy of God of living the Christian life as a child of God. Present joy is past and future. It is not a fleeting emotion, but a spirit-yielded fruit rooted in what God has done and in what God will do for the good of His people and for His glory. And we must learn, as John Calvin put it, we must learn to apply our minds to this contemplation. Beginning here, as I've titled it, reflecting on the faithfulness of God. Reflecting on the faithfulness of God. The psalm begins by looking backward. Literally translated. The psalmist says, the Lord turns with a turning A turn initiated. A turn accomplished by our sovereign God. Now conceptually, it's a statement of return to well-being. It's a restoration, as the ESV translates it here, of good fortune. It's a testimony of God's steadfast love. It's a testimony of His plentiful redemption. Practically speaking, it was a return of decade-long exile. In a foreign land. An exile that resulted from Israel's disobedience and unfaithfulness to the covenant of God. Disobedience to his commands. Yet even as Israel was faithless. Scripture reminds us over and over again. God is faithful. In fact Paul said to Timothy he's faithful because that's who he is. And so in the providence of God, history tells us that Cyrus, the king of Persia, decreed Israel's return, rebuilding the temple in Zion, resettling Jerusalem, repopulating the land. And you and I, just by reading the sparse language of this psalm, you And I can imagine the celebration. The celebration of finally coming home. Like those who dream. It's like a dream come true. We're home. It was a time of laughter. With shouts of joy. A time to treasure. A time to nurture. A time to remember. A time to reflect on the faithfulness of God. Each verb in these first three verses, as they are translated, connote the past. Look at the first three verses. The Lord restored. We were. Our mouth was filled. They said. The Lord has done. The psalmist is teaching Israel to remember, to reflect, to recount all that God has done. Let us take note and do the same. This is one reason it is so important to consistently reflect on the gospel. Joy flourishes, joy flourishes in the redeemed heart recounting the acts of God's sovereign grace. The gospel, brothers and sisters in Christ, is not something that happened to you only in one moment of time. But rather, the gospel is the good news of what God has done in Christ, past, present, and future. Think about it this way. And and by the way, I could preach an hours-long sermon just on this topic. But just to break it down and grab a couple of choice places, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, you need to reflect on the fact, fact, you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ or we need to remember what John said to the church if you confess your sin he is faithful he is just to forgive to cleanse you to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you well let's start over if we're faithful and just to confess our sins he's faithful and just oh, if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to cleanse us From all unrighteousness. There you go. And forgive us. It comes. It's just back there a ways. Right? (laughs) Or think about also in 1 John where John reminds us that Christ has given us, or rather Christ is an advocate for us with God the Father. My point is just simply this. Is that as we look at Scripture... The reality of our relationship with the Lord is that you and I, by virtue of what God has done in Christ for us, we too can pray, O God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And we can know that He is faithful to restore it just like the psalmist says, just like the fortunes of Zion. But the Christian life is not lived in a vacuum. We are not the only ones who witness the Lord's faithfulness. The world is watching. The joy that God gives you, the joy that that God gives me, is what we would say a demonstrable joy. A joy that leads the nations here in this psalm to say what? Well, look at it with me. Look in verse 3. What do the nations say? Or rather, verse 2. The nations say, the Lord has done great things for them. The Hebrew word that is translated here in English, nations, is not referring to fellow children of Israel. It's referring to the pagan nations, unbelievers. And it's unbelievers who are saying, look at this. Look at what is happening. The Lord has done great things for them. Now, this was not Israel's agenda in returning to the land. But it was the Lord's. Think about it this way. In a passage of Isaiah that we will all be familiar with this time of year, the prophet Isaiah said this. Arise. Shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you, and the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And of course, we know this prophecy is fulfilled in Christ Jesus, the true, the perfect Israel. But there's also a second understanding. And that is that the testimony of the Lord's faithfulness to His people and our joy is telling. It's like a light that shines to the world who is watching. What is the story of your life telling? Is it the joy of the Lord Is it one of alienation or community? One of hostility or love? One of condemnation or grace? One of rejection or restoration? One of legalism or liberty? One of sin or joy? The Apostle Paul's metaphor that he uses in Galatians of fruit is a perfect metaphor. It is describing the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. A life lived by faith. A life lived by faith in conformity to Christ. And that will produce the evidence of the presence of the Spirit of Christ. Now let me be clear. Nothing in Scripture advocates the life of an imposter. Living one way in public and another in private. Instead, you and I are to live what we confess. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. A crucified life gets noticed. Not by tweets or posts. Not by selfies or self-promotion. Not by celebrity status, but by selfless Gentle, quiet, living under Christ's reign. Testifying to the life of the resurrected one and bearing the fruit of His presence. Those who witness true fruit will testify. The Lord has done great things for you. The Lord has done great things for me. Now, come back to the text with me. I want you to see something in this psalm between verse 3 and 4. Between verse 3 and verse 4, there, there seems to be a transition. Those who were confessing in verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us, we are glad, they're now praying 4 restore our fortunes o lord those who were laughing are now crying those who were shouting are now weeping what happened what happened between verse 3 and verse 4 life life happened Sometimes our joyful shouts are tempered by the reality of life. The exiles return home to their land. Welcome home! It's a wreck! But reality does not warrant a masquerade. I think sometimes Christians feel like joy is a mask to be worn. A uniform to adorn rather than a fruit to be born. You may fake it till you make it, but guess who you're fooling? Not us. You. You may fake it till you make it, but you're the only one being faked. Right? Please, for the sake of spirit-filled joy, come to terms with the reality of life. The garden of life Well, it turns out it has thorns and thistles. The daily bread that you and I pray for, well, it doesn't fall from heaven, does it? It comes by the sweat of our brow. And the meaningful life that you and I strive for ends in earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. What joy, I ask you, what joy is there in a life of thorns and thistles, sweat and toil, dirt and dust? What meaning is there a life in a life like that? Well, let me confront this. That if your life is rooted in this land, joy will grow wings and fly away. If your happiness is rooted in your work, or what you do, joy will crumble in your hand as you try to hold it. If your happiness is rooted in all that life can offer, joy will slip away like sand through a sieve. In contrast, here's what the the psalmist teaches us. The psalmist teaches us to pray expectantly, to sow in tears, And to reap with shouts of joy. Look at verse 4 with me. The psalmist begins by praying for the Lord's blessing. Restore your fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Figuratively, you and I, as we read this psalm, we're we're in the field, in in a land of unkept land. Not in the lush garden of Eden, but in the Negev, or Negev, in Judah's arid south where the dry, sun-baked ground yields nothing without the water of rains. Irrigation ditches may carry water to the fields, but there's no water to carry if God does not send the rains. The difference you see between a barren wasteland and a flowering oasis is the Lord's provision. The psalmist prays for God's blessing like rain. In the desert. That's a decided, that is a dedicated, that is, if I may, a desperate and rightly so prayer. And the Lord answers his prayer. He does right here, and we see it right here in the psalm. But let me prepare you. He doesn't answer his prayer in the way we might think that he would answer it, he answers it differently sowing in tears, going out weeping. Modern Christians might say, well, what kind of answer is that? Is that how God works? Yep, that's how God works, right? In the field of life, hardships do not go away when we come to faith in Christ. I know that's a newsflash for some. You might have even been told that. When you came to faith, well, come to faith in Christ and everything. We're we're just, you know, Christians, we're just happy, happy, happy all the time. Yeah, well, they hadn't met us, have they? (laughs) Uh, No, in fact, when we come to Christ, Christ promises what comes with it. Problems. Hmm. We do not encounter trials for a lack of faith, but because of it. In fact, it is in the field of life that God grows us from seed to sprout to fruit to maturity, often through droughts, hard soil, and failed harvests in our daily life. Christian joy then can never come from temporal conditions, but only from eternal realities. Let me say that again. If you fell asleep, wake up, write this down. Then you can doze off again. True joy, don't doze off again. True joy, Christian joy, can never come from temporal conditions, but only from eternal realities. I mean, think about it. This is the reason why the Apostle Paul, he's in prison, he's writing to the church at Philippi, and what does he say? Well, it's not, woe is me. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'm going to say it, he says. Rejoice. Rightly does James tell us to consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials. Why, James? Why should I? Well, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The restored fortunes for which you and I pray are often answered on the Lord's anvil of trials. Sorrow, then, is not incompatible with joy for the child of God. Those who sow in tears, the psalmist says, shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed of sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. You see, Christian joy is known in the midst of the Lord's fruit-producing work in us. Yes, we may in fact sow in tears. Many of us have, many of us will. But consider the seeds God is planting through them. Yes, we may go out weeping. But consider the sheaves God promises for our good and for His glory. The great harvest of being conformed to Christ. A harvest that has already begun in you, in Christ, and is yet to be completed. Never-ending joy awaits us without tears, without sorrow. For He who restores promises says this, And so let us not look for everlasting joy in the land of Adam's curse, but in the land of Christ's promise. No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow, far as the curse is found. As exiles, we too are headed home to a promised land. The new heavens and earth where we will not sow in tears. Nor go out weeping, but we will shout with joy. Think of it. And that's what Calvin advises. He says, in order that then that joy may succeed our present sorrow, let us learn to apply our minds to the contemplation of the issue which God promises. Thus we shall experience that all true believers have a common interest in this prophecy, that God not only will wipe away tears from their eyes, but he will also diffuse inconceivable joy through their hearts. The joy of heaven. Inconceivable joy. Now that's worth shouting about. Let's pray. our God and giver of all joy, let our hearts leap towards the eternal Sabbath where the work of redemption, sanctification, preservation, glorification is finished and perfected forever. There is no joy like the joy of heaven, for in that state there is no sadness, fighting, contentions, evil schemes, weariness, hunger, sin, suffering, persecutions, or toil. O healthful place where none are sick. O happy land where all are kings. O holy assembly where all are priests. How free estate where none are servants except to you. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.